As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal. Unfortunately, my co-host Tracy Alloway is off today. That's because we scheduled this last-minute interview with a uh, very exciting guest to have. Today I'll be speaking with Ro Khanna. He is the representative representing the 17th Congressional District of California. It includes a lot of Silicon Valley. He's a progressive Democrat. And what's striking is that he is, as far as I know, the only House Democrat to have publicly broken off with Nancy Pelosi over the current stimulus uh, negotiations. So, of course, uh, Nancy Pelosi in ongoing discussions with Steve Mnuchin in perhaps an attempt to get a deal done before the election day to spend more money to aid the economy. So far, there's a lot of uh, debate. Speaker Pelosi has said that the offer from the administration is inadequate not necessarily so much about the dollar amount per se, but some of the language in it. Basically, all elected Democrats are with her. Uh, Our guest today, uh, Ro Khanna, saying, you know what? Yeah, perhaps it's not a perfect deal, but it's worth getting the money out the door now, even if it's less than perfect. So we'll uh, uh, I'll be speaking with uh, the congressman about his argument and why Pelosi should do a deal and something you should note that this is a fluid, ongoing uh, story. So by the time you're listening to this, uh, the situation may have changed. But as it is, we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon on the 19th. So, uh, Ro Khanna, thank you for joining us. Hey, great to be on. So, so far, as far as I know, you're the only uh, elected Democrat, at least in the House, who has publicly said to uh, the speaker, just take the deal. Why do you think it's so important for the Democrats to compromise somewhat and get some money out the door now? Well, I said we need to make a deal. I didn't uh, say take the specific okay. <laughs> proposal, but I said, look, we do have to compromise. We do have to get uh, money to people. Uh, the food bank lines in my district are twice as long. Uh, people are uh, suffering and not being able to make mortgage payment. I was talking to someone who's going to lose their house. They've run out of their 401k. Uh, there's a concern that restaurants, small restaurants that many immigrant families own may shut down, especially with the winter months. Uh, We can't wait till February. We can't wait for a new administration. And after I spoke out, a number of others have spoken out, Tom Malinowski, Peter Welch, and quite a few others. 
So in your view, as of right now, and I mentioned we're recording this Monday afternoon, October 19th, what do you see as the gap between what the uh, sort of the ideal uh, bill from your caucus would be and where the White House is? Well, we had made a considerable progress. In fact, right before this podcast, I was on a conference call with the speaker, and it looks like the White House has come uh, finally to recognize the need for a national testing strategy. They've come up to our $75 billion that we need for contact tracing and testing. Uh, it seems like they are uh, finally agreeing to more state and local aid. We were at $430 billion. There's still uh, a part on, on that number. Uh, but we need language on uh, liability to make sure we're not compromising uh, worker safety uh, on that issue. Uh, and we need language to make sure that the money that is uh, being allocated actually is going to working families, to small businesses, and isn't just going to the discretion of how the secretary wants, wants to spend it. Go further on that point, because this has been a controversial uh, thing ever since uh, CARES Act was passed uh, earlier in the year. This idea of uh, discretion on the part of the Secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin. What are your big concerns with that in terms of allowing him uh, to decide how a certain amount of cash gets spent? Well, it it could go to children. It could go to people in poverty. I mean, people say, okay, what's 20 billion, 30 billion in the context of 1.8 1.8 trillion. I mean, 30 billion dollars going to children in this country uh, would uh, make a dramatic difference in the poverty rates. It would make a dramatic difference in terms of if we could get it to earned income tax credit or child tax credit. So the last thing we want to do is give the secretary money, which he may use to to help airlines or may use to help executives, uh, and people feel that the people most in need didn't have it. Now, you mentioned liability. This has been a big priority uh, reportedly for uh, majority leader of the Senate, McConnell, that businesses have some sort of liability protection. What's your view and how much is this a sort of poison pill that Democrats really just can't vote for if uh, versus um, something where there is potential for compromise? I think there is potential for compromise and the compromise that we have Uh, outline is very simple. Adopt worker safety protections as a safe harbor. I mean, if you adopt the protections, if you say we're going to adopt a plan to keep workers safe, we're going to have the appropriate PPE, we're going to have the appropriate social distancing, and you comply with that, uh, then uh, the liability is not going to be an issue. But we're not going to give you immunity uh, if you have no plan to keeping workers safe. Okay, so in theory, Businesses can, uh, in your view, or should be able to get some sort of legal protection under the stipulation that they take worker safety seriously. Exactly. And, and I think any language, once you comply with the worker safety uh, provisions, that, that provides a safe harbor. I mean, then if you're sued, then you could say, no, look, we complied with what Congress said. It actually is a safeguard for businesses. What McConnell is saying is just give them blanket immunity so that if people come to work, uh, and get COVID, they have no responsibility. Currently, the OSHA statute, I and mean, this is getting a little in the weeds, but it has it doesn't regulate airborne pathogens. So uh, what McConnell is saying is that's your problem. It's like getting the cold. If you go to work and you get the cold, you can't sue uh, the your employer. And unfortunately, there's some Republicans who still make that analogy. But COVID is not the cold. It's a deadly disease. And we have to require that employers take basic measures, particularly, I mean, when you look at Amazon and you have people in 
fulfillment centers uh, where they're packed almost like sardines and rapidly uh, transmitting uh, the the disease that Amazon or other companies like that need to take preventive measures. So obviously, we're literally uh, two weeks out or two weeks in a day as we're recording this from the election. How much anxiety, honestly, is there on the part of Democrats about this idea of, you know, quote, giving Trump a win or giving McConnell a win at such a pivotal moment, especially with the belief that a lot of people think there's going to be a huge Democratic sweep and the opportunity to pass the sort of perfect bill or the dream bill come January? I don't think that's what's motivating it for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I think this would be seen as a win for the speaker. I mean, the House Democrats passed something five months ago. They passed something uh, a month ago. We all know that, uh, you know, Trump's advisor, Kudlow, was out there saying, oh, we don't need a stimulus. The economy is doing perfectly fine. Uh, and that was wrong. And the president basically is going to be passing uh, Pelosi's bill. I mean, so I think this would be seen as uh, a win in leadership for uh, House Democrats. Second, the human need. I mean, the, the 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 fact of the matter is that you can't wait till February. I mean, the stock market can wait. The stock market can say, look, the odds are Democrats are going to win and everything will be fine February. And that's the expected value. But you don't have expected value calculations if you're looking to put food on the table or meet your next uh, rent uh, bill. So uh, the urgency of acting is is there as well. Right. So earlier in the spring, of course, the House already did pass a pretty substantial phase four. I, I don't even know what phase we're on anymore, but uh, another uh, a huge deal. The uh, HEROES Act, I think it was worth over three trillion dollars. If we do get a uh, Democratic sweep, Biden in the White House, a Democratic Senate, do you think that is basically um, roughly what we could expect in terms of fiscal stimulus out of your caucus? Or could it even be potentially bigger in your view? I think uh, we would even do something uh, bigger because uh, hmm. that that bill didn't have uh, monthly stimulus checks. That bill didn't have the sufficient infrastructure investment to create jobs. So I think there's going to be a whole look at what is it going to take to get the economy back on track? What's it going to take to create jobs? Now, if we can get uh, some of it done now, uh, then we can come back for uh, doing the remainder uh, in February. And I, I, I think that there's a large value in, in, in doing that, especially because you may have much greater Republican opposition once you have a uh, Joe Biden as president. So potentially any deal that's done now prior to the election, or I guess theoretically in the lame duck, could be seen as kind of a, uh, a down payment on something larger, but allow allow some of the work to get done now. Yes. I mean, because you don't because, like I said, people can't wait till February. And second, right. while I'm very confident on, on Biden and I'm hopeful on the Senate, I mean, it seems a, a big gamble to begin to say that uh, uh, we're definitely going to win back the Senate. And let's say we don't. Let's say we have Biden and uh, the Senate is uh, is still by one vote in Republican hands. Right. Then what are we going to do? So uh, I just think that there's too much riding on it. Let's get people relief and then we can get done uh, the, the remainder in, in February.
As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that the uh, Democratic Party, do you sense a change in deficit phobia in your party? Whereas at one point, and I think under the Obama administration, very early on after the great financial crisis, there was a impulse on the part of the Obama administration to rein in deficits and talk about the importance of getting them under control. Do you think that impulse um, is less there and that the party feels comfortable about spending without apologizing for it? I do. Well, this, it's been necessitated by this this crisis. You know, I will say one of the most unpopular votes I cast, I think it was one of two or three people to vote against the Democratic Rules Package uh, in the beginning of this Congress because it had PAYGO. And one of the right. arguments I made is PAYGO makes no sense as an economic matter. How can you pay for everything? Uh, what if we have a crisis? We may need to spend more uh, than something costs, and it's just terrible economics. And uh, I, you know, I was uh, excoriated, I think, in, uh, certainly by certain colleagues. <laughs> Why are you voting against PAYGO? Well, it turns out that uh, we had a pandemic and now they're just suspending PAYGO. Hopefully this teaches us a lesson that we shouldn't have PAYGO in, in, in future uh, uh, packages. I mean, the idea is that a government needs to be able to spend when interest rates are externally low and when we have crises and need fiscal stimulus. And of course, Powell has made this argument. And, and, and I think this is where he makes a very, he's a more conservative and he makes this argument better than I do. And he says, look, in a low interest rate environment, if you borrow the money and you spend it, you're going to prevent further permanent damage to the economy because you may save some restaurants and small businesses from going under. If you don't spend that money, you're going to have permanent damage. And that permanent damage is actually going to lower the, the economic growth. So spend the money now at low interest rates, preserve the growth. And then, by the way, you can always pay it back. Now, people will argue that governments never pay back. But theoretically, there is no real economic case for not spending now. You know, one of the things that I think has really struck a lot of people with the CARES Act is that, and it sounds simple, but that putting money in people's pockets is just an incredibly powerful tool. And that it works very well. And we saw this pretty impressive rebound in spending and all kinds of uh, positive economic outcomes as a result of that much uh, rebound, much faster than a lot of it, uh, economists had expected. What about something and where do you stand on sort of uh, permanently establishing more robust fiscal stabilizers so that we don't always need to have 
a bill or a vote or a CARES Act-like situation where as soon as the unemployment rate starts to rise, we kick in nationally unemployment insurance on a uh, robust scale to start to balance out, uh, fight the downturn. I think it'd be one of the smartest policies we could have. Bill Spriggs, who was a an economist in the Obama administration has been pushing this. In fact, I was working with him on such legislation before the pandemic, but having automatic stabilizers, having some sense that things kick in to particularly to state and local government so that they don't have to lay off uh, and on unemployment insurance and extensions in moments of crisis, uh, I think would help uh, alleviate uh, the worst of downturns and, and make sure that we don't have these huge spikes in unemployment. All right, I'll let you go in just a minute, but I got to ask sort of one question that's not related to this. Of course. Your district, um, you represent the 17th Congressional District. And if you look at the names of the towns there, it's all the familiar Silicon Valley towns, Sunnyvale, Cupertino, Santa Clara, and so forth. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of Democrats really um, get more aggressive about their calls for big tech to be uh, broken up, to be regulated more aggressively. Tell me about the conversations you have with your constituents on this topic and why, uh, how do you view that agenda in terms and in the context of representing the best, uh, the best interests of the people who vote for you? Well, we definitely need well-crafted regulations. I mean, we have to recognize the uh, value of technology. I mean, they're responsible for some of the greatest innovations in, in the world, in our country. I think of the S&P 500, 90% of its growth over the last five years have been some of these tech companies, they're uh, fueling a lot of uh, uh, economic activity in this country and helping even small businesses with, uh, which are now uh, selling uh, online and they're competing with Tencent and uh, Baidu and uh, Alibaba in, in China. On the other hand, we have to make sure that these platforms aren't abusing their own platform uh, privileges. So I don't believe we should break them up. But one thing I should do think we need to consider is to have a duty to deal with sellers. Hmm. Uh, that means platforms shouldn't just have a presumption that they can do whatever they want on their platform and not allow uh, other people to sell or uh, to use their platforms if they have some form of monopoly power, some high concentration. I mean, uh, too many people need these platforms uh, and they shouldn't have the arbitrary ability right. to deny uh, access. I mentioned at the big outset, you were the first elected representative to say, do a deal. And not necessarily the deal that was on the table, but get some deal done. As you mentioned, a couple others um, have now said that. Why was that uh, not a, why was that a sort of minority position or why has that been? Well, let me be candid. I mean, I think people said, oh, are you hurting our side's negotiating posture? And and, and we should just speak with, with one voice and, and people you know, you don't want to say that we're willing to compromise because uh, we have to play hardball. I mean, those were the, the counter arguments for, for not speaking out. And my view is that, uh, you know, my first duty is to my constituents. And a lot of people in my constituency said we have to go get something done. And I have faith in Nancy Pelosi. She's a very tough negotiator. Uh, having members say we need to get something done is not going to uh, compromise her ability of getting the best deal. But I do think that the country wants members uh, at least making every effort to uh, to come to some agreement. And in your view, Speaker Pelosi is negotiating with Mnuchin in totally good faith with the desire to get a deal, not just because there's this perception that, oh, they just want to be seen as talking. No, I don't think so. Now, look, I don't understand why 
uh, Trump, who has been so inconsistent, who at some point says, I don't want to negotiate, and another point says, go bigger. If he was serious about this at 2.2 trillion, where they're already up to like 1.9 trillion, he could have just said, let's take what the House is, has done. I mean, and then it, it would have been very clear that the, uh, the, the negotiations uh, uh, were, uh, were, were, were taking place. I mean, we couldn't reject what we've already passed. So right. I think you've had a lot of gamesmanship out of the White House and McConnell, and that's really been where the bulk of the problem is. That said, you know, there are people on our side who believe we have to compromise as well, and we, we want to get something done. All right, Rokana, thank you so much for uh, joining us, and uh, should be uh, we'll be we'll be watching. Take care. Thanks for having me. And that was my conversation with uh, Representative Rokana. You know, of course, by the time you're listening to that, um, everything may have uh, changed in terms of where we are with the uh, stimulus. But again, we're recording this Monday afternoon on the 19th. So there you have it. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow my co-host, Tracy Alloway, on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. Follow my guest on Twitter, Representative Rokana. He's at Rep Rokana. Follow our producer, Laura Carlson, at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcasts, Francesca Levy. And check out all of our podcasts under the handle at podcast. Thanks for listening. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.